Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to John Black, who's the CEO of Regulus Resources. They are a Peru-based uh, copper explorer listed on the TSX. V. Um, we talked to John about why the share price has been in slow decline over the last two and a half years and what he's going to do about it. Um, they've also had a rather torrid time with COVID and dealing with it down in Peru, not yet back on the ground, hoping to be quite soon. They have enough money to deliver a drill program and uh, build out what they think they've got with uh, development of the northern part of the asset. They've recently received permits to do so. Um, we look forward to hearing from him how he's going to uh, deliver that program over the rest of the year. So enjoy the podcast. John, how are you doing, sir? Just fine, Matt. Great. Thanks. Good opportunity for us to catch up again. Yeah, yeah. Long time, long time. And we're going to hear all about what you're up to. Um, so where are you hold up? Looks like you're, you're still at home, are you? Yeah, I'm based here in, in Colorado, just south of Denver. Very nice for you. Very nice. Um, well, like I tell you what, just for people who haven't caught the last couple of interviews, why don't you give us that one minute overview of the project and I'll, I'll pick it up from there. Okay. Uh, at Regulus, we're a group of very seasoned explorers that specialize in, in identifying and capturing large copper opportunities, drilling those out, de-risking them, and then ideally monetizing those by selling them to a major company. We've had previous success with our, our first company, Antares, and we're now on to a really exciting project called Antiquari. It's in northern Peru. It's a large copper gold system. It's moving along well with a, a great resource to start now and plenty of room to expand. So I look forward to to giving an update today on where we're at with that project. Beautiful, beautiful. And I'm going to ask you for an update. But first, I wouldn't mind if you can tell me a little bit about what's going on in the copper market, because it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of in and out of fashion. Um, price is up a bit. Do you know, can you tell us about what's going on? Just just on the, on the macro for us, if you don't mind. Okay, well, um, it's, it's actually, I think, a pretty exciting time to be in copper right now, and, and one that um, wise investors should be keeping their eye on at the moment. Uh, all of us have been caught up in the excitement about gold and the boom with gold prices taking off and, and running like this. Copper's been a little bit beaten up over the last, uh, last year or so for a variety of reasons, in, including COVID. But I think as we're all aware, there's a looming supply gap in copper coming up. Um, COVID does not change that. The supply gap is due to, uh, quite frankly, as an industry, we're not very good at finding new deposits or getting them into development. So we're slow on, on presenting new opportunities. And meanwhile, the current producers are decreasing in their grade and their production and, and getting a little bit older on this. So uh, combine that with extreme electrification of just about every aspect in our lives right now. And, and, and we have the well-known predicted copper gap coming up. COVID doesn't change that. It, it may delay it, but it, it, but, it, but it doesn't change that that is looming. So once we're through COVID, we'll be back on track to see that appearing. Okay, so everyone, Everyone talks about the supply-demand gap of their commodity. It just happens, okay? And mm -hmm. we, we sit in every presentation, and it it may you know it may or may not be true. But what we've got to try and work out is which companies are gonna are gonna make it. So I, I kind of wanted to understand what you're seeing in the market with regards to copper specifically, but the types of projects. Let's let's not get into yours yet, but the the types mm -hmm. of projects that people are looking for for copper, because it's it's a you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a base metal which is. I uh, got a long, long history of losing people a lot of money, um, but if you get it right, you can make a lot of money. So, 
In your discussions in the marketplace, you know, are you are you getting approached or are people asking you um, a little bit about your project because it fits a certain profile? I mean, what what are you seeing out there? Yeah, what we're seeing is that um, the the majors, as um, both copper and gold majors, increasingly, are are very keen on identifying opportunities to expand copper production in, in the future. Um, largely because they they think that's going to be a profitable metal to be in as as prices increase and there are fewer opportunities for it. But there there are very few of these opportunities in the hands of junior companies. Um, uh, 10, 15 years ago with Ross Beatty and a number of Lundines, a number of others, there were a lot of these uh, groups like ourselves were finding and presenting as available for major companies. They're, they're really hard to find right now. And so they're very few. So when you have something um, in your hands, you do draw a lot of attention from the major companies right now. And it's not just that they think it's a good metal to be in. It's, it's very much considered a green metal now because of its link to electrification and, and even link to to uh, health issues right now is, is possibly something that could be a surface in hospitals and other things like that. There, it's it's viewed as a green metal. It's it's one of the more favorable metals for mining companies. You don't want to be in coal. You do want to be in copper. And so it's the, all the major companies are are very actively indicating they want to increase their exposure to good copper projects, and those are hard to find. So that sets the background, and 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 groups like ourselves will have interest from major companies on that. But what's what's really interesting to me right now is that um, despite everybody kind of chasing the gold stories and doing very well on the gold stories, and that has pulled investment away from groups like ourselves on this, we're starting to see the the green shoots of of sort of longer term investors look for good copper plays right now. A, a good example is later today we'll be presenting to to one of the banks that's asked us to come in and present to their sales desk because they're getting incoming calls from from investors wanting to know what are the good copper stories and so those that's the lead front those are the people that are thinking ahead they've done well on gold perhaps now they're thinking hey let's move to a sector that's a little bit off the map on this a little bit beaten up and they're having a tough time finding copper opportunities right now so that's that's a, a very good setting for somebody like ourselves that's what we want to hear We're, we feel that we've lagged a little bit in the market on this um but we feel that interest is coming Okay, and so what are, what are they? You mentioned like gold miners coming, you know, approach, approaching you or talking to you, or you're seeing this in the marketplace. Are they looking at copper as some kind of hedge, or is it just the fact that typically copper porphyries have got the scale to deliver what they need? It's a, it's a little bit of everything, and there have been some gold groups that have been much more vociferous on on their intent to move into into copper projects on this. And at, at first glance, it would appear that they just want copper as a hedge to gold, which is a smart, smart thing for them to do on this. Um, fundamentally, I believe that they think copper is a good space to be in, like most major mining companies. And, um, and then one thing that's, that we're hearing from, from many of these groups is they, they approach us with the type of project we have that has a, a significant byproduct precious metal component to it, is that they they're interested in large copper projects that have some gold because of their potential for a very long mine month as, as a major mining company it's much easier to build your company around a long high production mine than it is to have a whole series of short mines and and it's it's not just planning and being able to do that it's also it, it helps a lot on your social responsibility because um, we refer to the type of projects that we look for as multi-generational mines. These are mines that could operate for 50 or 80 or 100 years. And it's a lot easier to build a sustaining support system around communities with that than it is on the boom or bust cycle you get into, say, a 10-year mine. 
Okay. That's, it's, in, it's interesting times. Um, a lot of these battery metal stories um, are struggling because of COVID. They're struggling because of what people, you know, the impact of COVID could be, you know, when we do get back to some sense of normality in terms of what's happening in the marketplace. But um, one to watch. Appreciate uh, that background. Let's talk about uh, Regulus. Okay. So we've, we've talked a couple of times. Um, what's been happening since we spoke? Because if I'm looking at the share price, gradual decline, lack of interest in the marketplace, what is it that you've been doing during this period to uh, kind of move the company forward, even if the market's not recognizing it? Well, since we last spoke, the, the most important news for us is that we, we received our long-awaited permit to be able to move to the north. We, we got the final step of that in February, a few weeks before everything kind of Kind of started to get a little bit complicated on it so we were just set up to drill and, and had to stop that program but once once we're back up and running on this um, which we'll discuss i'm sure in a few moments uh, the timing on we will um, we'll be back onto that phase two program so when the when covid first hit um, peru wisely um, chose to take some very strong measures to shut everything down they were very concerned about uh, their lack of medical infrastructure to handle a crisis and um and so they were pretty pretty drastic steps. We've we've now been nearly four months with with all of our employees essentially working from home. And uh, this week is the first week we've been able to get back into our offices and start to begin a normal semblance of of a work environment on it. Um, so the our first concern on it was to make sure we had everybody patriot repatriated to their home base and safe. But um, that quickly turned like most of our peers into. Um, is there a silver lining in this? Can we do something? So we've been actually doing quite a bit of work in this period of time, just catching up on a lot of our planning, things that we always want to do and don't have enough time to do well. And, uh, and we've, we've found that uh, Zoom is our new friend on this and we can, we can actually do quite a bit of productive work on uh, during this period of time. Okay, but people wanna see action on the ground because you know, I, I get, yeah, beginners will be looking at the Lausanne curve and trying to understand where you sit mm -hmm. and, you know, oh, there's a lull here and so forth. But the, the reality is there's always things that you as the company need to do and there's things that you'd like to do. So what were the things that you needed to do to move this forward? I mean, how the permits is one thing, but then you've got to move the company forward. You know, have you got the finance to do that? What's the plan? I can give you a couple couple examples of, of the type of things that we've been able to do during this time. Is, is uh, We had a um, very productive conference at, at BMO in February on their conference in Florida, and then of course the PDAC meeting in early March. Coming out of that, we had plans to have two site visits a month from March to June of major companies or banks or others that were interested in the project. That's the level of the project's at right now. We have a large defined resource, clear timeline on the district and, and potential for it to grow. So it's at the stage where it's beginning to draw interest from people that wanna monitor what we're doing. Of course, we couldn't have those visits. So what we've we've actually found is that we we've been conducting effectively virtual site visits with major companies. Uh, keep in mind, all their staff are kind of grounded too on this. So it, it's we we have lengthy video conferences and technical sessions where we're going through the projects. It's not quite the same as being on the ground, but we've found it's pretty effective for the type of information that they need to do. So that's allowed us to. Um, position ourselves with these groups, have them understand what our objectives are. This is, of course, all under confidentiality agreements, so it doesn't necessarily show to the market, but it's very fundamental work for us to, to be moving forward with. The other thing that we've been able to do is to increase our outreach to, um, to different um, parties uh, through interviews like this or a number of virtual conferences that people are hosting on this. 
and, and begin to have those type of contacts and, and get the story out. But one of the things that we've realized in this is we're, we're currently kind of undergoing a critical evaluation of, of what our IR outreach is and, and, and is it effective. And um, despite increasing a lot of what we're doing, what we've realized is that we may have fallen into kind of a classical trap of, of preaching to the choir and that many of our outreaches are going to the same people that know us well and know the story. And we're telling them and they're, they're like, yeah, we know the story, but we, we want to see the share price increase and we, we want to see things moving forward. So we've been a little bit frustrated with our share price as everyone, we're shareholders ourselves and we operate the company as shareholders. So we're not, we're, you know, when people are concerned about our share price, they, they shouldn't um, feel that we're just, you know, it, it affects us just as much as everybody else on this. So what we're realizing is it's important now for us to reach out to new audiences and different audiences on this. So we're right in the midst of, of taking steps to be, to um, show how we're going to expand our, our reach on this and, and get into new, groups. Six months ago, that probably wasn't that practical because there just wasn't much investment interest in the sector. And you could you could market, you could do lots of things and, and just people thought of our sector as not a particularly good sector to be in. But that's changed entirely right now. And we're seeing a, a major influx of investment money into the sector. We've been we know we've been a little slow on, on catching that. But we uh, we think we have a great project, and we're, we're we'll we'll be taking the steps necessary to track that investment. Okay, so like I'm hearing you, you're gonna, you're changing your marketing tag and promotion. Great, big green tech, well done. But um, what's happened with the company? You've got to say right, whatever you were doing before wasn't working because the market wasn't reacting to it. It can't just have been a case of waiting for a permit to you know access the northern part of the of of the project. I mean, or, or, or was it? Well, there's there's an element of that when you when you are in a situation due to um, waiting for a permit or or where we cannot work because we can't physically be on the ground that restricts our ability to produce news. If you're in a sector like copper where people feel, hey, it's great, but I've got two years, I want to be chasing gold stories right now. That makes a lot of sense uh, on there. So it's it's kind of the the longer term groups that are watching for us, and we've seen some, and we're well aware we had one large resource fund. Uh, cycle out of us, which would put a lot of downward pressure on us over the last few months as they rotated into into gold. Perfectly understandable. That's how they're managing their business. What we need to do is is draw in people that are interested in copper and see that potential going forward. And so that's that's what we're really focusing on right now. Is is we've got an excellent opportunity for people that want to invest. It's a it's a project that's in hand. It's it's a large project. It has all the earmarks of being a a major mine coming in the future. So we, we need to get that story out to people that are, are beginning to pay attention to copper as the next next good investment opportunity. Well, that's why I want to start with the macro, because I just don't think enough people understand copper. It's been a while since copper has been on the up, right? So I think you've got a lot of generalists trying to understand what the upside is, apart from people like you telling us the supply-demand gap is, is looming, uh, as everyone does. But I've got to come back to it. I've got to come back to what are you going to change on the ground? I know appreciate COVID is affecting your ability to get on the ground and do things physically, but just telling the story isn't enough because you know you know what you know about what's happening on the ground now. You've got some permits. So what is this new permit going to release you to do? What new data? What new information? What? How are you changing the way the company's going forward? And what are you going to be able to tell us that's new? To put the, it's best to put this in the full context of what we have right now. So we currently have a resource that's about 500 million tons, a little over 500 million tons of quite attractive copper gold grade. 
Um, so by itself, that's that's a large deposit already, but that's a portion of a much larger project. We're in a district where the same style of mineralization we have on our ground extends onto our neighbor's ground, and we share a deposit. The neighbors are operating their side of the property by mining the oxide cap, um, but they run out of ore in about 2025 on the oxides. They're already beginning to make their their plans to make a transition into a larger copper gold sulfide project. But to do that in, in the most attractive manner, we have a critical portion of that project. So it makes most sense going forward on the, in the district to have a consolidation of the district. Uh, today, we have about a third of the contained sulfide metals in the project on this, but we have some extremely interesting targets to the north that we, we've been awaiting our permits to be able to get into. We're very happy with what we have now. We're expanding that. We'll, we could see a resource increase just from what we're drilling on right now. But by stepping to the north, we have a potential to substantially increase our resource. And we move towards metallurgically more favorable mineralization as well. So what we're, we're excited about is getting on this project because it kind of tilts the, the chess match, if you will, or the poker game on this. Right now, we have a pretty good hand. We have a critical portion of a district that's effectively a brownfields district and, and has a very logical district consolidation to move forward story on this. But we would like to, to tip the scale so that we have a larger piece of that project. And that's what this stepping to the north really offers the opportunity. Right. It also, um, many investors are interested in new discoveries, new mineralization on this. Uh, one thing that we face as a challenge in our, our business is sometimes you have a project that's even though it's clearly an economically viable project, it's old news in a little bit. And so the opportunity to step out into a brand new zone and discover a new zone on this is the type of thing that offers not just a safe bet to investors. That's what we have in our in our mineralization in hand right now. But this offers that tremendous upside potential for the investors. So that that's why we're extremely excited to be able to get on to this drilling to the north, because it uh, we don't have to have success there to have a good project but it could dramatically change the nature of our project if we hit what we think we'll have up there. Great, so that, that's, the, that's the game plan explained. So who consolidates who? That's gonna be an interesting interesting uh, match on this. One, one uh, question we get a lot is the neighbors, when I mentioned neighbors, it's a company called Komalaichi, it's a joint venture. It's really three parties. It's Southern Peru Copper, which is Grupo Mexico, one of the larger copper companies in the world. Um, in partnership with Buenaventura, a large Peruvian dominantly precious metals company who operates the project in a, in a family company called Espro that has 16%. So three very different parties, different financial capabilities, different intentions on that. Uh, it's logical that that joint venture would acquire us, um, but then that, that exposes us to a question of that there's one buyer, uh, what's your strategy? How do you, it's great to have a logical buyer, but can they wait us out? on this. So what we've always been very careful on this, and this, this enters into when we consider potential strategic investors in us uh, on the project, is that we need to maintain our autonomy and we need to attract other interested parties in our piece. And what we believe is the, the overall project, um, our, our part's called Antikori, their part's called Tantuatai. We sometimes joke and call the combined project Tantuatai, which in Spanish means so much gold. Um, the, the combined project is, is of the size potential that it really is, would be of interest to a consortium of major mining companies. And so we believe that, well, more than believe, by the interest that's being expressed, we know there are parties that are curious about potentially acquiring our portion to become a partner. 
in that overall operation. And we, and individually, the, the different parties on the other side, some may be more committed to going forward or less committed, depending on, on their, their business plans and their financial capabilities. So we, we don't view this as strictly being trapped by the neighbors. That's, that's a logical thing, but we, we are drawing in interest from, from groups that might want to participate in them in a partnership. And one thing that's interesting about this is that there, there's a lot of capital out there right now in um, large hedge funds or um, say streaming companies or royalty companies on this that like to participate in major projects, but they're not operators. And so sometimes when you have a situation with logical operators in the project, uh, that's a very attractive opportunity for them to come in and have a significant portion of the project in various different manners that they could do that. Um, and have competent operators that are, that are there as well. So this, this project draws interest from uh, major smelting companies, major metal producing or, or refining type companies, as, as well as hedge funds and, and uh, royalty companies. So we, we have quite a smorgasbord of groups that would like to talk to us right now. But they're keeping tabs on you because it's early days. You're talking about a PEA in 2021. So what do you know about what you've got today? Well, we... we um, we, it's interesting right now because of the, the large resource we have, we can make comparisons to other similar projects and it, and it clearly passes all of the, 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 the first glance tests on being of, of the type grade that we'd like to see. One of the things that we, we always knew it, was, it had potential to be a large deposit and it had potential to have very attractive grades and it has that nice precious metal component to it as well. But one of the things that we're realizing is we've, um, in this downturn, we've been doing a lot of internal modeling on the project and effectively in-house PEA type evaluations on things going forward, is one of the things that's really jumped out to me, and I should have, should have seen this right from the get-go on it is, is that this project has a remarkably low strip ratio. And uh, the strip ratio is the amount of waste you have to move to get to your ore. And so a, a big open pit mine is commonly two or three to one. So you move two or three tons of ore to get to one ton of, or two or three tons of waste to get to one ton of ore. The, the resource that we report right now is, is pit constrained. And we re, within the pit that we float, we report the resource that's on our ground, but that pit extends onto the neighbor's ground as well. We see what's on their ground un, under our collaborative agreements. We're not allowed to report that, uh, either due to the agreements or due to exchange rules on that. But what we can report is the overall pit uh, currently has a strip ratio of 0 0.85, so less than the 1 to 1. It would be one of the lowest strip ratios for, for a major open pit mine like this. And we see potential for that to be even lowered even more. So that's one of the, it has all the earmarks of being economically very robust. Uh, we're in the in the stages now of, as, as we get to this next resource expansion on it, um, the logical thing would be to go to PA. We won't be done drilling the project out by any means at all. Ideally, we'd wait until we get the full project drilled out and then apply your first PEA. But um, the temptation is to begin to jump forward on it right now. A lot of that work's done internally. Um, and we're a little bit hamstrung that we, even though we see it, we can't report the information from, from the other side of the, the boundary. So we're, we're working on ways to be able to, to show the potential for the full project, but we're not quite there yet. How's cash? Cash, we've got about $5 million right now. So we, we've got plenty of money. We anticipate we'll be drilling right around the end of August, early September on that. And we can go into more details on the timing of that. Uh, so we have enough cash to get that drilling started. We, we feel that our shareholders have made the investment to see what's to the north and, and warrant to see those results coming in on it. Um, we, we 
to continue drilling at the pace we will, we will need to finance, but there, we'd like to see data on the table and, and demonstrate the projects moving forward before we go to that stage. So you're going to need to raise money towards the end of the year, maybe mm-hmm. Q1, that sort of time frame. What mm-hmm. news do you think you're going to be able to deliver to the market, which they don't already know? The main thing is the first results, the first look at this in the area to the north is, is the thing that really jumps out on this. Is, um, and, and that's, that's uh, been anticipated by all of us for some time and, and it's really what we want to look at. Um, we believe we'll also be able to demonstrate a little bit more about the overall nature of the project in hand. So we're working on two fronts, the, the new area to the north and the potential for expansion and, and substantial increase in resource. As, as well as demonstrating the economic viability of what we have now. Not all the way to a PEA stage, but there, are, there is information that we can begin to get out. An example is we're, we're, um, we have been able to conduct our metallurgical test work during the downturn. The lab is, has been able to run. So that program is well underway now. And by, by late fall, we'll be able to have our first metallurgical results out, which will be a, a key component of, of what pathway we go on the project and it has implications on what type of processing we have. So. So there, there will be data on the, the overall viability of the main project, as well as new data on the, on the area to the north. I'm kind of interested in the way you, know, you said it, the temptation is to jump forward with a PEA and go early and kind of get information to the marketplace rather than drill the project out. So, you know, and there's lots of different you know, um, lines of thought and so you know, what business model works and what doesn't. You, your feeling is that scale will be your friend here as far as the market is concerned, rather than putting numbers into the, into the market early and giving a sense of you know, what, you, what, the, what the ore body looks like. Yeah, it's kind of a combination of things. Normally on, on our, our previous experience, it made sense for us to drill the whole project out. And then that first PA is kind of your first look and it, it really kind of marks the project on it. And, and that was a normal pace for that project. On this one, there, there are two factors. One, what we have in hand already to us is clearly very economically viable on this. And, um, and so it continued to drill out, will make it bigger and more attractive. But in the meantime, it means we're not getting to the, we're not able to transmit to the market what we know about the project on it. And so that, that's where there's a temptation to, be, to, to move forward on showing the economic viability. But the other factor is, is that is a timeline on this. And this is something that we think is pretty critical for this opportunity is that the neighbors next door are mining that oxide cap. And, um, but they do run out of ore. Their, their projected uh, timeline on that is 2025 right now. Um, and, and a mine called uh, Cerro Corona of Goldfield, seven kilometers away, also runs out of mineable ore at that time or tailing space at that time and will begin to have a hungry mill beginning in 2025. So that puts a, a sharper timeline on the district. It's, it's when I mentioned it was a Brownfields district, it really, it re, the opportunity is to make that transition. And, and I don't think anybody interested in the district uh, wants to see those mines close and then try to permit and restart a major mine. The opportunity is to make a transition from two mines that contribute a lot of economic benefits to the communities in the areas um, and have been accepted by the communities as mines. It, it's much smoother transition socially and economically to have those make that transition into a larger sulfide mine. So that, that kind of speeds the, speeds the, the process up on this. Uh, we, we'll keep the pressure on all interested parties by continuing to expand our resource and making this jump to the north. But that there, there already are 
all interested parties are already well aware that there's an economically viable opportunity to move forward. So, so that, that kind of changes the time frame on the district okay. to a good sense. We like to have, a, a, have that sharp focus because these, these big porphyry projects can take years to be, be developed. That's, that's why we like to, to drill them out, uh, de-risk them and show that potential and then monetize and pass it to a group that will will wade through that time to get it in production. This thing, everything's everything sharpened on the time focus. So how much more money do you think you're going to need to raise to be able to do that? Because like you say, there's a very long process, even the bit that you're involved with, which is kind of you know, de-risking this and showing the scale of the opportunity to strategic partners or you know, JV partners um, or whoever or however you decide to finance this thing going forward. You're going to need mm -hmm. to raise some capital. So what's that look like? Do you think you're going to be able to? Um, we, we, we have the benefit of having some strong shareholders on this. Uh, our, our, our core shareholders, a group called Route One out of San Francisco, they own 25% of the company. As, as uh, insiders, we have significant participation as well. And so the, we, we do have access to capital, and, and today's environment has even made that easier. Our concern more is at what price is that access that we don't want it to dilute out. So that's the critical thing. Uh, today, we could go out and, and raise plenty of capital, but I, I would hate to do that at today's share price, uh, knowing what we can deliver coming forward. So it's a constant uh, game that we, 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 we do our best to try to judge how to, how to move it forward on that. In this current situation, we, we believe there's critical uh, new information that will be available that's important to put on the table before, before we move to that stage on, it, on doing the financing. Um, typically for this, the, these big projects require a lot of drilling and, and a lot of um, engineering level work. And it's uh, one thing that's commonly overlooked is that it's very important um, not just to have a great deposit, but you have to have social acceptance in the area that you're working in. So that means you do have to, even at the stages we're at, begin to um, put a lot of emphasis on Im improving social conditions in the area and, and helping people understand that the mine will provide benefits for them going forward. So that begins to do it. So bottom line is on a project like this, and, and based on our experience with Antares before and many of our peers that do the same things, it's, it's approximately $20 million a year is a good number to, to take a look at is, is our typical burn rate that allows us to do 15 or 20,000 meters of drilling plus all the social work and other, other work that's associated with it, that. And that's, we see in a, in a normal scenario um, that we'd have at least one more year of that. It depends very much what we hit up north. That, um, that, that if, if, if we need two years on that, that's very good news. It means it's even bigger than we thought. And so it, it, um, it's that type of level. Now, we, our business plan is that we typically envision we would take a project to about a pre-feasibility stage. And that would be kind of the sweet spot where we've added the value to the project. And we've de-risked it enough that a, a, a company feels comfortable about purchasing it. It's normal that we draw a lot of interest in it at the stage we're at now. Um, we don't believe that interest would translate to somebody trying to buy the project from us today, nor do we want to at the valuation we're at right now. We need to, to get more exposed on that value. And, and it turns out that um, most of these acquisitions of projects like these are done at higher metal prices when companies are cashed up. It's, it's part of the cyclical nature of our business. So what we like the setup right now with that 2020, 2025 timeline for development of the, of the district, that's about the time we need to show the full value of the project. And by then we anticipate that we'll be seeing increased metal prices as well. So we could have the, the makings of a perfect storm where we're delivering a, 
a rare project project right as as people are really looking for these type of opportunities so we intuitively like the the setting on this right now why would anyone invest in you now i get i get the you need to drive the share price up so you need retail to get interested now to help mm-hmm. drive that liquidity because that's going to allow you to raise money more cheaply you know towards the end of the year when you start getting some of these drill results out and hopefully they say what you want them to say and you can mm-hmm. prove up the old body is you know i don't know homogenous or it can it's got the grade that you expect and it's a much bigger district than you expect but how are you going to do that between now and then why would anyone invest in you well the the it's in in a situation like like what we're in right now and i watch for these as an investor myself out there on this is it there's a temptation to say look copper probably is is a ways before we're, we're seeing a nice price increase in the last few weeks that's that's mostly related to uh, perceived or actual uh, potential um, stoppages on some of the mines in Chile and other parts of the world. I think that that's um, not the big event that we're going to see coming up on this. It, it does help price right now, but it's not necessarily going to really stick. It, I, I think it'll return us to this level, but I would be happy if we kind of settle in at this $3 level. I don't think we're going to see copper necessarily shooting to the moon right now. But uh, just on that movement alone, it's caught people's interest. People, copper's moved, we're getting those inbound calls, we're getting interest on this, we're starting to see copper stories that are producers move because $3 a lot more attractive than at 225 that we were at for a while. And so uh, it shows that potential movement on it. The other thing I would point out is, is that stories like ourselves that are not particularly liquid by nature, where many of our investors have, have have made the investment for the long term. And so it's there, there's not a lot of available float out there on it. And so when when interest turns, it can turn rather quickly. And, and you can find yourself saying, boy, I knew that was a good one and I missed the opportunity on that. And we're seeing a number of our peers in the gold space and in the copper space uh, make that turn simply on, on announcing they're back to drilling again on it. There's in our, in our business, there's a lot of times there's an anticipation on buy buy on the start of a program, sell on the news type thing on this. So if you wait to see what our drill results are, you, you, you may have missed the opportunity to come in on the project. I'm not saying that's imminent at any time. There's time, there's time to come in, but it's a, it's a great time to, to cautiously build a good position in what we think is a great story going forward. And the next, next real news to watch for from us is, is when that drill program starts up. Um, I think it's, it's worth letting people know a little bit on that in that, uh, like many countries, Peru is is faced with that dilemma of do you do you keep things shut down for health concerns or do you open up for business on that? And it is opening up for business, but we have to do that cautiously. So we we do have green light to be, go back to work now, but we're in the process of making sure that the communities that we work in are comfortable with how we're working. So that's why we're projecting a startup in late August, early September is is our best estimate right now. But we, we should have further news to clarify that timeline in the next week or two. Okay, John, appreciate the update. Uh, so it's been a while since we spoke. Um, interesting to see what's happening on the macro. I think copper is starting to get noticed again. Thank you very much for uh, letting us understand what's happening with the ghost conversations with the kind of big big funds, big banks, etc. I think that's interesting that they're starting to get those inbound phone calls as well. But. Um, Looks like you've got a lot of work to do, but you've got the cash to do it till the end of this year. Um, pick up the phone, let us know how things are getting on as they develop. 
uh, we'd be keen to uh, see how you get on. Thank you. That might not be timely for this. Yeah, so. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.